last week we started a series on uh, identity and, and what it means for us to be identified um, in, in, a, in a healthy way, in the way that God designed us. And so I kind of began this series, so we're going to pause Matthew for those that weren't here, and, and the, the, there were some ground rules for this series, that it wasn't just me going to talk, but that you actually had to engage with me. And I would say last week I'd give you a solid B for your interaction, so I'm proud of you guys on that, but that means there's room to improve. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start real quickly with some, some questions, and then we're going we're gonna to jump back in. And, and again, um, some of the things that you guys may hear in these next, um, well, I guess this week, next week, and, and then um, what you heard last week, we, we encourage you to write down questions. And some of you did. Thank you for turning those in, um, in the, through the communication cards or save those because on the last um, week, on October 12th, when we do this, and then we'll be back in Matthew after that, um, we're going to have a panel where it's going to be me with three other really, really smart people that are way smarter than me, um, where we can actually discuss what this identity means. So we set in motion this idea where, hey, if you're going to come to, to Rev, and we're just a small C church, a part of the greater church of God's kingdom here on earth, and we, we, we profess, we claim, love God and love others. Do this with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I, I we began this with the idea that there are issues, there are roadblocks to that, and we will struggle to find um, how to, to live that out. And so what we wanted to do is kind of pull back some layers and look at, look at what I believe is the largest roadblock to us living a life of loving God and loving others. And that is what we identify ourselves or how we identify ourselves. So I said last week, and this is, the, this is where to see who was listening. Last week, you were one of two identities. What were they? Anyone got them? How about the right one? This does not bode well for you guys. You're not listening, Okay. A child of God. Thank you. Someone was listening. There's the one. You're either a child of God or reputation, which we said, absolutely, a reputation is, is, is what others think of you. Hey, the video just gave you the answer, guys. I mean, seriously. You didn't even have to remember a week ago. You're great. Man, this is ridiculous. Okay, so I said you're either a child of God or a sinner in need of God's grace. You're one of two spots. And the problem is that most of us would say that we want to identify ourselves as children of God, but we allow our reputation, what others think of us, what we do or don't do, start to cloud who we are. And so I challenge you guys with this, with this issue. First off, I gave you homework. I'm a little afraid to ask, but, but how many of you by a show of hands went home and, and drew a cross on your, on your mirror? That's, that's not great, okay? So by homework, you just failed, okay? So we, should we just do the last week and start over? I mean, what? I mean, th okay. <laughs> this is what I asked you last week. I said, look, our problem is, and I gave every single one of you this little teeny mirror and said, what do you see? And people said, well, I see a nose or an eye, which to be funny, that was the first thing they saw because it was teeny. But then I said, the problem is that if we really look at this and we're honest with ourselves, we see depressed, not good enough. Failure, bad spouse, horrible mother, horrible dad, ugly, anxious. And what happened is what we realized is that these little mirrors are not how we need to be seeing ourselves. And I asked you last week to exchange this mirror, exchange this view and this angle, which is, is, is inundated with lies and reputations and, and how others view you, to exchange this unclear small mirror for the cross. 
and said that if you identify yourself as a child of God, I'm trying not to blind you guys, sorry. If you identify yourselves as a child of God, then you see yourselves not through this little teeny unrepresentative full of lies mirror, but through the cross. You see yourself now from through here. And I asked you all week long, which none of you did, because you just admitted that. Thank you for being honest in church. And you, and you basically didn't put this on your mirror, but I said, write this on your vanity. Take a little dry erase marker and only look at yourself through the cross. Because see, the problem is, is that we view the cross as an event. We view the cross as one thing that happened a long time ago, and this thing just happened in our life, and we moved on. But the problem is, is that our identity is rooted in this. Our identity is established in this. Who we are is established and done through the cross. And so I, I challenged you guys to exchange your little mirrors for the cross. To allow the, allow the cross to be how you identify yourself. And, and I'm hoping... <laughs> Some of you, you saw that happen this last week. If we're going to love God and love others and live on mission, if we're going to extend grace to this world, if we're going to be a part of his kingdom here on earth, we have got to start with how and who we are established in, and that is Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ. And the problem is that if I said, and I asked you guys, I'm, I'm a little hesitant. I'll give you a second to answer questions in a second, so warm up with your, with your nerves. I asked you, I said, if... How would you identify yourself as a Christian? And every single one of us, not every single one, you had some good students out there last week, but most of us said something we do. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I serve, because I'm kind. And although all those things are attributes of what a Christian is, that is not why you're a Christian. You're a Christian because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the problem is, is that we want to run to doing. We want to run to doing something. If I can just do something, I can, I can earn his grace, or I can, I can establish, I can show him that I love him. That, yeah, Jesus tells us to obey his commands, to love him by doing that. But, but we run to that, and we forget the fact that we are established in the cross. And I wanted to move on a lot quicker, but I'm just going to, because of the interaction, I'm going to sit here for a second. My hope is that by the grace of God, truth of Scripture, and power of the Holy Spirit, you know your identity in Christ. So you can live as you were designed to do by loving God and loving others, living a part of that mission. But to do that, it's got to be established in the cross. So we exchange these mirrors. So the, the gospel is, is the wrath of God, the the. the, the, the anger and, and, and upset and the, the desire to amend or bring justice to the sins of this world poured out on Christ in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For your sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess in the Greek means to acknowledge as true and enter into a covenant relationship. Believe in the heart that's the center of all that you are. Right? Surrender to him as Lord, supreme controller. You will be saved. And then what happens, Ezekiel 36 tells us, verses 26 and 27 says, I 
God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you see this? It is God beginning a work in our heart to move us to follow his decrees. He gives us his Holy Spirit to actually allow us to do for him. And when we believe that, we get this new heart as Jesus literally begins to work on the center of who we are so that we can live through him. And that is all established and done in the cross. It's not changed anything. So there, we're identified by the work of cross. Thanks for coming, guys. We'll hit that again next week. Love you. Have fun. But does anyone ever feel like even though they believe that's true, they still struggle to identify that as them? How about a show of hands if that's you? Put them up high. No shame here. Don't lie in church. Come on now. Turn around and look at each other. There's a bunch of people that are being honest and the rest of you are lying, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if we are adopted children of God, then why do we struggle with that? And my assumption is this. My assumption is this. And I'm going to ask this question, and you need to be really, really honest with me. As a Christian, do you still sin? Okay. So let me ask you this question. When you sin, do you still believe that God delights in you? Not here, but here. My bet is that is the roadblock. The issue that we have is this sin that still exists in our life. This struggle to go, okay, well, I'm identified by the cross and I want to look at the cross, but the problem is when I stare at the cross, I feel shame and guilt because I see God's holiness and my lack of it. I see God's righteousness and all it does is show the darkness at times that I still live in. I struggle with. And so my bet, my assumption is for us to be free to be identified with Christ, we need to look at a couple words. And they're churchy words, okay? But the first word is justification. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 5. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up and the ushers will bring them. This is, we're just gonna, we're not gonna really dive deep into this word justification, but, but I think it's worth us looking at this for a second so we can figure out what to do with sin, Okay, Romans 5, or chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Some of you are going to get your Bibles, I'm going to be done reading. You can still go there, it's a great text, I encourage you to. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, so this is a therefore, we're going to stop right there. The faith that was realized, the faith that was given to us, a gift through Christ, this faith that is now ours, okay, that's where he's going in Romans 4 and where he comes, this this faith that we have, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by what? What's the word? Faith. Good job, you're reading. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we, enjoy, we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. And then he goes into suffering, and we'll just skip that part, okay? 
But the point is, is this faith that is ours, this faith that is ours, it is ours because we are what? What's the word? Just, you can, you can speak with confidence. Come on, we're in a church. If, because we are justified. That's right. Okay, justification is a legal term. Okay, it's a term that essentially is when the judge hits his gavel, whack, on the table. He then, he then says, this is how you stand. This is where you're at. Now, justification, what's unique about it, what's incredibly unique about it, is it's a proclamation of someone that has been freed from something that they really necessarily didn't deserve. Now, this is, this is key in understanding where we're going to go. So I'm going to sit here for a second. Just out of curiosity, when you were justified in Christ, did you do anything to make that happen? No. Nothing, right? Like, it's not like when the gavel fell on Bren's life, I went, wow, I'm glad I got an innocent plea because I know I'm innocent. No, I know I'm guilty. You know you're guilty. You have no right to be justified by God. Left on our own, we are a mess. And that plea came and it's like, whoa, I just got away with so much. All right, moving on. Thanks for that, Jesus. See you later. There is no confusion. Most all of us and, and, and would recognize that I am justified not by anything I did, but because of what Jesus has done for me. The faith that he gave me. I am now justified before God. I'm made right and whole because of what he did. Yet I deserved the opposite. When that gavel slammed, I didn't deserve to be called righteous and forgiven. I deserve to be death. Sinner deserved my sinner. That's, that's where I was. That's where you were. Anyone who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, you stand in this, in this, this judgment that isn't in place of the covering of God's amazing, beautiful, lavished grace. So we didn't earn it. We knew we were guilty. Show of hands, who was guilty? You guys are doing good today. All right, this is great. It's amazing what a little shame will do for you. <clears throat> Just kidding. There's an absolute truth of the fact that no matter what comes against us, Jesus is stronger. Right? That no matter what we struggle with in this life, Jesus is stronger. But for us to have the power to overcome sin, we have got to identify ourselves as a child of God. Let me say again, if you want the power to defeat sin, if you want the power to live a life of freedom, you have got to be identified as a child of God because as outside of that, you're not justified. Outside of that, you don't have his spirit living inside of you. Outside of that, there isn't a heart of flesh but a heart of stone. That's why it's so important that we stare at ourselves through the cross. this is so key. We are justified by nothing we did. So then, okay, I didn't do anything to be saved. I'm now deemed righteous because of what Jesus did, but then I still struggle with sin. So what do we do with this? How do we move forward? How do we recognize that and run? 
First John 4, 4 says little children. And John, the apostle John, uses that term sometimes for youngsters or, or sometimes children of God. This, this term is for children of God. You are from God and have overcome them. Who's them? For he who is in, is, is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Meaning that you have the power inside of you to overcome everything. But that means we have to view sin a specific way. Okay, so let's just pause for a second. We're identified as what? Child of God. Perfect. We became a child of God because God did what? He justified us. Did we do anything to earn that? Okay, good. We're there. Now, does anyone ever sin? But you're a child of God. Come on, what's wrong with you? Just kidding. Sorry, that's not bad. That was a bad joke. <clears throat> sin is disobedience or a breach of law. It's a violation of relationships with people, rebellion against God, separation from God. Sin is an absolute truth of this broken, broken world. Anyone who says that they do not sin is a liar. That's what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John. But those that do sin that are underneath the covering of grace, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ who stands before and says, not them but me. Not them but me. But here is the problem. Here's the problem. What you and I do is sin. We usually do one of two things. As children of God, those of you that have not surrendered your life to Christ, you can just listen to this and, and pay attention to what everyone else is doing because you have other options in here of what you do. But as children of God, when we sin, we have two options. Ignore it or repent of it. There is no in-between. I just want you to know, there is no in-between. We'll talk about that in a little bit, okay? When we sin, we either ignore it or we, or we repent of it. Now, repentance is a term. It's a military term. It means to turn and face the other way. Uh, it's... Um, Turn and walk the other jacks. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. It's not just, I no longer this way, and I turn. It's, I no longer this way, and I'm now going to start moving this way. So repentance towards God is, God, I have sinned against. It is, uh, this sin is here. I sinned. It, I no longer want to do with this. I turn, and I start walking towards God. I fix my eyes on him and say, God, I want nothing to do with that and everything to do with you. It is a course change. And when it comes to sin in our life, we either ignore it, or confess it. We either ignore it or repent of it. Okay, and let's use an example here. I had a, um, when I was in sales, I had a client that had a pet bobcat. Okay, seems weird. They're in Boise, they have it. And they had it for about 12 years, and it was, it was an awesome pet, and they, they did this, and anyways, it was in this massive cage, and I was like, well, do you ever let the bobcat out? And they're like, well, you know, the bobcat, we raised it. It was always out. It was awesome. And when our kids got about six years old, we were having a birthday party, and one of the kids' friends was running for a ball or something, and the bobcat just, like, started chasing it, you know, and, like, stacked it and then tripped it up. And nothing happened, otherwise I wouldn't use this example, sorry. The kid was fine, okay? But the bobcat's instincts just went and chased it, stalked it, and tripped it up. And this is a bobcat that had lived with this family forever, but its instincts took over, and it, it was like, a meal on wheels, let's go, you know, and it was after it. But it's the same thing with, you see Shamu, and he attacks these other people. You see, my favorite's lions. Have you ever seen, like, like lions? They are an apex predator, okay? Their job is to kill things, and when they're not killing things, they're thinking about killing things. Like, that's a lion's role in life, 
Okay, that's, that's literally all lions are. And then what will end up happening is people that live with these wild animals or they see these wild animals, what ends up happening is at some point the wild animal snaps. You can only tell it to sit so long before it bites your arm off. And if you watch when animals attack or any of those other shows that were ever out there, right, it's, it's usually, it's kind of, it's, it's sad obviously because people are hurt, but at the same point they're really foolish. Because they always say afterwards, I can't believe they did it. My clients, like the bobcat, we had it for seven years, no issues. And then I, I just can't believe it. It's like, really? I mean, you, you realize like the function of that animal, right, is to eat, kill, eat, sleep, kill, eat, sleep, breed. Like that's kind of the process at which they go. So it shouldn't shock us, right? Well, that's how you and I as Christians view sin. We have these lines in our lives. And they're just kind of coming around. We get them a new leash. We train them. We teach them to sit. We smack them on the nose. Bad line. When at any moment it is going to attack and destroy us. So sin is one of two things. It's a pet, a leashed wild animal that you're carrying around trying to train or in all honesty taking out in the street and shooting it. Hear me out on that, okay? Like, you're like, wow, that's really harsh. But listen, here's the point. If I'm a child of God, then I need to be in a position. I should be in a position. I have been given the opportunity to be in a position where I absolutely hate the sin that separates me from my father. So we have one of two options. Hate this sin or blame, minimize Make small. Get excuses. Well, he bit this time, but I'll train him better. You're playing with something that you cannot contain or control. And believe me, here's the problem. The enemy will love for you to believe that you can contain and control it for just a little while. I got this. Some of you right now, you're thinking of certain sins in your life that you know when you read it, you match them up against the Bible. You know God has called you to something. You're like, okay, that's it. You're making a declaration in your heart right now. I will never do this anymore. And that's where it stops. You make an emotional response to, I will never do this anymore. And then when the emotions die down, you run right back to it. A proper understanding of sin leads us to life. So when sin happens in our life, we can do one of two things. Repent of it or ignore it. I'm going to use these as two different ways. There is either worldly grief or godly grief when it comes to sin. Okay, look at me with uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verses 10. For godly grief produces a repentance, there's that word, that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So you have two types, two types of grief. Let me be clear. There is going to be grief, apparently. There's a godly grief and a worldly grief. So if you're living a life with no grief, you've missed something. Okay, there is grief either way. You're going to have grief. It's going to be worldly or it's going to be godly. So we're going to flesh these out real quickly. Worldly grief is, is usually emotionally, is emotional and not at all spiritual. It's a passive thing. 
Worldly grief is, is passive in the sense that, that what I feel, I can feel sorrow for what I did that was sin and that was wrong. I, I shouldn't have gotten drunk. I shouldn't have fooled around with that girl. I shouldn't have looked at porn. I shouldn't have, whatever it is, you have this, this moment of sorrow. And at the very beginning, godly and worldly grief can run right next to each other. There's snot, there's tears, there's emotions, there's sadness. I can't, ah, oh, this isn't it. I shouldn't have done this. But there's a, there's a, there's a key switch in both of those. That's why I said worldly grief is passive. Worldly grief tends to minimize. I can't believe the lion bit me. I'll get it a better collar. Wow, I've just been really tired, so I'm just exhausted and work's been overwhelming, so I needed some kind of escape, so that's what happened this time. I'm just, I'll get more sleep next week and it won't be an issue. It's just ignore ignore it. Look, all of those look like you're trying to deal with it, but really you're ignoring it. Because what you're doing is you're minimizing the sin itself. You're minimizing the issue. Worldly grief is full of pride and avoids consequences and responsibilities. So in that moment when that grief happens and the snot and everything comes and some, some friends and some people come in and step into that process and they start saying, hey, okay, you, you said you wanted to be done with porn. Let's make some really drastic decisions with, my, with this computer. Whoa, 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 I need a computer. Okay, well, let's do some software. No, 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 no. Like, I don't have enough room on my computer for software. Okay, well, then let's, let's set up some accountability. I mean, we can, but, but really I'm not going to say anything to you. And essentially what happens is, is when, when people come into this fray, when they step into the fray and say, I want to help you remove this line, they go, no, 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 I like this line. I had this line for a long time. Look at, watch, sit. He sat. Lay down. He laid down. And ultimately what happens is you run from consequences. Worldly grief tells you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to train this line better. Worldly grief is, is usually an apology of, I'm sorry you were offended, which really isn't an apology. You just put it on them. <laughs> I'm sorry what I did offended you, and you basically made it their fault that they're offended. That's not an apology. Sorry that my actions did this to you. No, no, no. It's I'm sorry for my actions. Godly grief sees sin for what it is. Godly grief sees the line and says, I want nothing to do with this line. Godly grief desires and pushes to take that line out in the street and shoot it. Godly grief wants nothing to do with sin. Godly grief has sight, and that sight is not to bring about shame. Hear me on this. That is an absolutely beautiful gift from God is to actually see sin in your life. It's not God up there going, I'm going to beat you down until you start following me. No, it's being able to see that sin so that we can repent, turn from, run to God, live in the freedom he created us to live in. Psalm 32, 5. This is David writing. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. So we see David right there saying, I have acknowledged. I understand that they are true. This is what my sins are, and I have confessed them to you, Lord. They're yours to have. 
And so this confession, this grief is, that is godly brings in vertical, brings in God. Now here's the thing about godly grief and worldly grief. Worldly grief is usually always horizontal. It's to one another, rarely to God. We get caught, we struggle, we're, we're sad about it, we know we shouldn't have done it, there's maybe some consequences in place that are legal ramifications, but it's always usually horizontal. Godly grief is vertical, but then spills over into horizontal. And so what David is saying right here is like, look, I have committed this. David says, I have sinned to you and you alone, God. Well, yeah, but you killed a man and then slept with his wife. So I think you sinned against some other people, David. Like, just, just to be clear, like, yes, your sin is with him. And what the Bible is telling us is that my sin before God is what enables me to sin with others. So I have sinned against God in any sin, and it is, it is enacted and enabled me to sin with others. First and foremost, we confess unto the Lord. First and foremost, we confess our sins to the Lord. So some of us, we're really, really good at that. Oh, God, okay, I did this again. Please forgive me. I will get up earlier to set up this week so you can, you know, know that my heart's in the right spot, as if you didn't really already know your heart. And so we, we confess vertically, but it doesn't stop there. Look what um, David does in Psalm 40, verse 10. I have not hidden your deliverance within me. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Not only is confession going up vertically, but it's going out horizontally. It's like, look, I'm sharing your greatness. You saved me. I was a mess. Look at me, and here's what happened. And it's not all just the good. He begins this with, I was in the muck and mire. I was a mess. Here's who I was, and he's sharing that horizontally. So here's why this is important. God did not save you individually. He saved you into a community. We are communal beings. We are meant to walk along with each other, not to do this alone. It's not just the good stuff you share, not just the God has saved me and God has lifted me, God has delivered me. Later in the psalm, David wrote, my sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than my hair on my head. It's this outward, horizontal confession. It's this ownership of what I've done. You want to know if you have a repentant heart? Who are you willing to bring into this process? What, what, what things are you going to use to help you? Essentially, I was in a dark spot. God saved me. It's a testimony of his faith despite our brokenness. If we could just be a people that embrace confession, do you realize how free we would be? See, here's the thing. And this is why sin is such a big deal. The lie is that if you hold on to this, you won't hurt anyone. If you just don't tell anyone, you won't hurt anyone. The problem is, is, is David also says in Psalm 32, when I kept quiet about my sin, my bones wasted away. This whitewashed, fake Christian of America that we try to portray to people as if we're trying to protect people. We can, we can sit and hide, but here's the thing the enemy wants to say. He's going he's gonna to push on me. He's going to say, hey, Brent, you want to get up there and preach, but I know, I know what's going on in your head. I know the thoughts you have. 
This week, Brent, I know the thoughts you have. Uh, well, you know what? Satan, whatever you believe, Satan's speaking to me. You know what? I know those thoughts too, and that's why I called my friend Danny and confessed them. So you can't push on me in the darkness because I've already brought it into the light. You have no power over me because my friend Danny has already joined me in praying for me in this. Confession is an incredibly powerful tool that eliminates the power of the enemy in our life. Repentance is the follow-up of confession. Here's what was wrong. I'm going to move forward. Confess with God. Confess with one another. God saved us to, to community. Godly grief sees sin and takes action. This is interesting because godly grief says that we will live a life without regret. I'm pretty sure that that text is not saying that you're not going to look back in your life and wish you would have done something differently because that's going to happen. That is going to happen. I think, I think what, what happens is once you get under the covering of God's grace, once you've received that, you've seen his re- he's redeemed your mess-ups, he's, he's redeemed your failures, how he redeems the things you've used to walk through and now actually turns them on their heads, it means that you, get, you can celebrate God instead of belittle him. It means that I can celebrate God in all my mistakes because he has redeemed them. And when I did make a mistake, which I will, I am not going to sit in it and minimize it and train it to eat a different chew toy and put a little bit longer leash or shorter leash on it. I'm going to take it out and I'm going to grow in my hatred to the very thing that separates me from my God, my Father, my Creator, the one who redeems me, the one who identifies me as righteous through the cross, the one who justified me in spite of me. friend Preston said it this way. He said, God doesn't delight in our sin, but he delights in you when you sin, if you're a child of God. That, like, he's, not, he's not happy. He's not excited about your sin, but he still delights in you as a child of God. And that's the problem with sin. See, because most of us will, will miss up this godly and worldly grief. And what will happen is we will start to feel shame for what we did. And we will run to the very thing that we felt shame for. I'm, I'm shameful that I, I got drunk again. And so we, we try and muddy that up or feel better by going and drinking again. I'm shameful that I, I slept with my girlfriend I shouldn't have. Well, you know, I've already slept with her. Who cares? I might as well just keep sleeping with her. God isn't going to push into you in hoping to to make you feel shameful and run from him. No, in fact, if you think back to the prostitute that was cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair and expensive perfume. And there's this unique moment where Jesus is, is kind of rebuking and teaching the Pharisees. And she's just bawling and using really expensive perfume to clean his feet, which is a fairly intimate thing and really not a good thing for her to be doing. And the Pharisees are starting to get in a spot where they're like, oh, I can't, I can't believe it. And there's this moment where Jesus reaches down, picks up her head and says, no, 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 no. You see this woman? None of you did anything. She served me. Your sins are forgiven. Be free. It's him 
stepping into that moment and saying, look, this isn't you. This isn't what you were made to do. This is sin, but I will pull you. I will lead you out of that. I'm not going to stand over and go, come on, hurry up. Get it right, punk kid. So that when you fail, you can just go, I'm a failure to God, and that's it. You know, you know what? Yeah, we all are. But the cross redeemed us. Under the redemption of the cross, I am free from the sin. So do you ignore it or do you repent of it? The problem is, is when we ignore it, here's what happens. We start seeing ourselves in light of this little teeny mirror again. We start carrying this around. All of a sudden, the voices of, of, of the enemy saying, yeah, see, I told you you weren't a child of God. Look at what you did. Look at how you're treating that person. Look at what you've done with your finances. Look at what you've done. And he starts whispering those lies. When we have this, this sin, when we have this line on a leash following us around, it's hard to ignore. It's like, well, it's right here. And really deep down, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that that line is ultimately going to bite you sooner or later. But instead of taking a baseball bat to his head, too graphic? Sorry. I love lines, by the way, just so you know. But instead of hating that sin and, and, and eliminating it, we try to minimize the bite it gives us by half confessions, by spinning the tables instead of coming to Jesus' snotty mess, getting down at his feet and washing him with perfume in our hair, recognizing, acknowledging that we have no right to be here. We are fully broken and sinful. And he says, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not you. Come on, children, come with me. He lifts our head up and pulls us to him. The shame we feel under the weight of God's holiness is not a type of shame that leads us into sin, but rather a type of sin that leads us out. Like God's holiness is always going to overwhelm us. When we look at ourselves on the cross, would you please go steal? I said don't steal last week. Maybe you need to steal a dry erase marker, okay? And draw a cross on your vanity at home. And stop looking at yourself outside the cross. Daily. This isn't something like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus saved me. No, no. He is in the process of his grace is redeeming me daily. God delights in us even when we're sinful. He delights in you as his child despite what you do or don't do. Don't let your shortcomings rob you of your identity that is already established in Christ. And the flip side of that is don't hang on to these lines that are not in that identity. That identity is free from that. Why would you carry around something that doesn't need to be there? Why would you continue to walk in shame and guilt and sin when you have been freed to run? Band's going to come up and we're going we're to worship and then we're going to um, take an offering and then get out of here. But last week we did this and I want to encourage you again. We didn't pass communion, but we set the cross up on that. I'm going to set that picture back there and we gave you, you can do two lines this week so it's not as long of a, of a wait. But, but I can't think of a better thing to do and I wanted to go ahead and open up communion again.
And here's why, because, because the preface of communion is, is, is Jesus' body that was broken for us. For those that, that, that follow Jesus, this is, his, this is his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled that redeems us and makes us right. And so as a believer, I can walk back and I can set this mirror and any other sin down before the cross and recognize that that's already been paid for. And so I can take of the bread, remembering that God's grace has covered me. I can drink of the juice, the wine, or his blood, and know that my sins are covered. And so maybe it's an act today. Last week it was an act of, I'm no longer going to identify myself by these little mirrors. I'm going to identify myself by the cross. Maybe today it's, I am identified by this cross, and I am no longer going to carry around these lines. And I'm going to lay those again, and in remembrance of what he's done, I'm going to partake in the life that's given through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you, and this is the hard part, maybe some of you, you can do that pretty good here, but it's time to start doing it this way. It's time to start confessing it. You can confess on that card. You can grab me or, or pull me aside. Or we can get some elders or some of the leadership team to walk with you. You do not have to keep walking with the sin. God has already extended his grace to that sin if you're a child of God. He's already extended that to you, so stop pretending that you need to carry it. And it's time for you to finally call it out. And it's ugly, and let me tell you right now, there will be consequences most likely for all sins. That does not negate grace. Just because consequences are present doesn't mean grace is, is void. But you're going to say, I am done worrying about consequences because I want to be in a right standing with my God who created me. I want to live free the way he called me to live free. And it's time to start confessing this stuff. Let me just tell you, it's hard. It hurts. You're going to want to run from it. I'm going to encourage you to run into it. Like David right there, he's like, look, I sinned against you, God. Forgive me, and then he proclaims of his goodness and his forgiveness to everyone else. And some of you, you've sinned against others. Look, if you're in a relationship as a boyfriend and girlfriend and you're fooling around, you've sinned against God and each other. So your forgiveness not only here, but to each other. We aren't meant to carry this. If you're identified as a child of God, stop carrying around pet lines that are just waiting to bite and maul. You weren't created for that. And it would be so easy for us to run into, well, I'm a child of God and I want to do. I think to be a child of God first is to recognize who we are in Him, to recognize that we don't have to carry this sin. And the next week, guess what? We'll talk about what it means to live a life with fruit. But you have to establish here before you can really ever understand that to its fullest. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ability to repent. Lord, I know that you, you have forgiven me for all that I've done, all that I will do, and I thank you for that grace that has been lavished on me. I thank, thank you for that grace that is more than enough despite my iniquities and my shortcomings. But God, I thank you that we don't have to sit. I don't have to sit in that, Lord. I can actually walk by your spirit. I can actually move forward living a life that is fruitful for your glory and your glory alone. 
God, for those in the room that are children of God that are carrying your sins, carrying, carrying something that you've already hung your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for, would you open up our hands? Would you lift our head out of the muck and mire and look us in the eyes and say, I am your father. I have redeemed this. It's like the prodigal son that's eating the, the pigsty food. And in the moment he sees, he's like, wait, my servants, my dad's servants eat better than this. Would we see it in that way? Whereas your child, we are, we are entitled and heirs to the kingdom. God, for those in the room that, that continually go through life and aren't sure that they want to surrender to you, they're, they're in fear or there's, there's hesitancies or they're like, I just don't know if I can believe this or believe that. God, would you just overwhelm them with your grace? Would you overwhelm them with your lack of shame? Would you overwhelm them with the fact that you delight in your children? As we take this communion, God, would it be a great reminder of your work and your grace and your body and your blood that was spilled and broken for us, Lord. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.